Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. First podcast after the All-Star break, an eventful All-Star break for Grizz Nation. Uh, Desmond Bain in the Rising Stars Challenge, uh, winning the Clutch Challenge with Tyrese Halliburton, just an immaculate vibe duo right there. Uh, Desmond Bain in a three-point contest and an advance as far as he wanted, but he was still there, still representing the city. That's all cool. And then John Morant in the All-Star game, All-Star starter. And though he didn't win the MVP like he set out to, he really kind of stole the show a little bit with a uh, alley 360 dunk, alley reverse dunk. Um, and then also just kind of just vibing a little bit. You know, everybody wanted him to be in the dunk contest, but he has no interest in that. But, oh, well. Um, ways to get in touch with the show. You can find all of our podcasts, GBB Live, The Long View, 3D, Core 4, and Starting 5 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you just do that by searching Grizzly Bear Blues um, in your search engine there. And Grizzly Bear Blues is also a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web, grizzlybearblues.com, or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. Exciting podcast we have here. I had to because... <laughs> things are about to get pretty sick, I must say. So let me introduce uh, two guests this week. For one, um, both are new senior staff writers. Uh, I'll introduce here first. He is a senior staff writer for Grizzly Bear Blues, a sports analyst for WUTK Sports. It's none other than Bryson Wright. Bryson, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing amazing. I'm glad to get started here, uh, especially doing this podcast and stuff. I've done some podcasts before, but, you know, I'm excited to do it more consistently. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Always always, always cool to get different insight on the show. And another uh, senior staff writer for Grizzly Bear Blues, he is also a staff writer for SB Nation's Inside NU for Northwestern University. He is also a staff writer for NBN Lebanon. It's none other than Andrew Katz. Andrew, what's up, man? How's it going? I'm I'm doing well. Uh, I'm really excited for the opportunity. I'm excited to uh, talk and write about Grizzlies, and uh, I'm glad to be here. For sure, for sure. You know, I I feel like we've had a a lot of – uh, inter- introductory stuff that we put y'all through because of, uh, you know, like through the round table, through tweets and stuff. So um, I-, I could always ask, you know, how they got into this stuff with the Grizzlies, all that. But find that on grizzlybearblues.com. Go over to the round table there uh, featuring these guys. I know we actually have like several round tables up, but if you just scroll down to the one that says introducing our new staff members, it's a nice little cover photo of the FedEx form outside. I think it was like a playoff series or whatever. You can find their answers there. But obviously, it's the long view, and we are about to have a stretch of time in the next 22 games plus 
whatever, how many playoff games they play. Got the, the foot's going to be on the gas and it's going to be absolutely fun to see where this crazy team grow, uh, goes, how they grow and just what's in this next chapter and how it's going to shape the uh, Grizz next gen era of Grizzlies basketball. So I'm going to be asking these guys um, two primary questions. I'll obviously get my take on this as well. Big picture takeaway from the pre-All-Star break and then a big picture um, observation for the post-All-Star break. And we're going to get with Bryson first. Bryson, what was your big picture takeaway from the pre-All-Star break run for the Memphis Grizzlies? Well, easily, the, the first thing you want to say is John Morant, but I think, I mean, everybody kind of expected Ja to, you know, take another leap. I think the guy that I didn't expect to take this kind of leap is definitely Desmond Bain. Uh, he's doubled his scoring average. I don't know if his efficiency is as high, but he's shooting more, so it makes sense. Uh, I really just think that the way that he's changed his game a little bit, last year it seemed like he was just a spot-up shooter. Now he can uh, go off the dribble. He can attack closeouts. He can do all that kind of stuff that you really need from a two-guard, especially when the one hole in Jaws' game has been the fact that, you know, he isn't a great shooter. You know, he's getting better at that. But having a guy who can really space the floor around him, I think that's opened the floor up more for Ja, And I think it's also uh, just opened the floor up for everybody else on the team. And I think that he's really kind of a glue guy. Uh, he's getting better on defense, especially like on-ball defense. They've given him some more uh, tougher assignments on defense as well. And, you know, I think he stepped up to the plate. So I think my biggest takeaway is just that, you know, Desmond Bain was working hard in the offseason. I like what they did by sending him to the summer league. I think that really gave him more confidence. So I, I think that's the guy that has really stood out to me the most. And I'm really excited to see what he does down the stretch, and especially uh, once we get into the playoffs. Absolutely. that That's one of my big things whenever everybody talks about, like, oh, the Grizz, like, the Grizzlies making a move at the trade deadline and the rationale behind doing that. It's like, and also the, just the upside that the Grizzlies have in the postseason is like, we haven't seen this version of Desmond Bain in a playoff series. And that goes for Jaron Jackson jr. Uh, to an extent, uh, be more so because of his own circumstances, uh, Brandon Clark as well. Um, so I just kind of want to see what they do, but I think Des Desmond Bain's a big part of that. And I'm going to ask both of you this. I mean, Andrew, you can go first, but do y'all, do y'all think that, Desmond Bain's emergence kind of changes, I guess, that dream target for um, that big splashy trade that's surely to come. Because, you know, in the past couple of years, it's always been like, oh, Bradley Beal uh, to a lighter extent, but way, way before his New Orleans Pelicans trade, it was CJ McCollum. But you think, do y'all think Desmond Bain is just kind of answering, giving a firm, almost a firm answer on uh, the perfect backcourt pairing for John Morant? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, the way Beals played this year, would, would you trade uh, Bain and uh, other pieces for him? I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I think Bain has kind of given that answer. Um, and, you know, we'll see uh, if he's able to continue this in the playoffs. And um, I just don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use him in a trade package as of right now. I think, uh, like I said, I think we need to see in the playoffs, but um, I'm really excited by what, he's you know what he's turned into this year uh to come from a 30th pick he has that chip on his shoulder uh, all these teams passed on him Celtics traded him I just think going forward he, he could be the answer for sure 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think that changed the outlook a little bit because I think coming into the season, people were saying, like you said, Parker, they need to get one more guy. I know people were throwing around names like, you know, Jalen Brown, even though I don't even know if he's available. But uh, I think that, you know, Desmond Bain, his just the way that he's improved kind of changes everything because I don't think anybody saw Desmond Bain as an 18 point per game score coming into the season, you know, especially on, you know, like I said earlier, you know, more shot creation and stuff like that, which is really the thing that he was lacking and why you would want to go get a guy like Bradley Beal or Jalen Brown. But since he's playing at this level, I think he's untouchable when you look at, you know, trading somebody. Yeah, I've kind of developed the rationale here, especially when it comes to guys like um, guys that could potentially uh, open up, whether it's once again this summer, Bradley Beal. Uh, Jalen Brown, Donovan. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is a possibility. I think he's going to go to a big market, but um, I've kind of, I'm with you, Bryson. I kind of have him more in the Jaron Jackson Jr. realm of untouchability, where it's like, for the most part, he is, unless like they're about to just absolutely flee someone. You're getting a clear upgrade, which when you get to guys like Jaron Jackson and Desmond Bain, you're, you're talking about very, like, almost, like, about all NBA guys is what you're talking about there. But I've kind of developed the theory of, like, it has to, like, it has to be one of the two between Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. Like, and when it comes to a trade package, like, I'm not cool having a trade package, even if it's for a guy like Beal or Jalen Brown or whatever, of saying, oh, yeah, they want both Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. I, that's where I would cut the deal off. You know, if it's one or the other, cool. But that, that's kind of where I stand, especially on uh, Bain's untouchability, per se. Let, let me add this real quick. I think, yeah. you know, another element to this is I don't I don't see – I mean, it could certainly happen, but I don't see Bain being a max guy down the line. Do we, you know, do we want a deal contract that's going to be a big max upcoming uh, on our books? I would – I personally don't want that. And McCullum's deal is also pretty tough. So, no, yeah. yeah for... I'll go ahead. I'm, Bryce. I'm sorry, Parker. Yeah, no, I'll just say, especially since he's still on a rookie deal, I think that's the big thing is he's going to be on his rookie deal for a couple more seasons. And you see that the way that they've played this year, and I think they're going to get better in the next couple of years, too. So it's like if you can keep him on his rookie deal for the next couple of seasons before he signs like an extension or anything like that. Uh, I think it would be better to keep him than maybe going out and getting a big money kind of guy because that can mess with the cap space a little bit. But I, I, I see what you're saying, Parker. I understand, you know, either one of Dylan Brooks or Desmond Bain. I think the real thing is just we haven't gotten to see a lot of both of them together just because Dylan has been out so much this season, at least not with the new version of Desmond Bain. I know they played together a lot last season, but I feel like this version of Desmond Bain is a completely different player. Yeah, and that, that's another thing, too. And kind of like the stay the course, like Dylan Brooks, like he's a guy that's reliable for at least 15 points a game, has a good track record defending the opposing team's uh, elite perimeter guy. Um, we've seen him perform in the playoffs. like, And also, too, I want to say the net rating with – Brooks, Ja, Bain, Jaron, and Adams all on the floor together. They outscored their opponents by like 17 points per 100 possessions. So why don't you just see how that fares in a postseason situation? I know we're going to get more into Dylan Brooks in a bit. Now, let me let me get to Andrew here. Uh, Andrew, what what is your 
big picture takeaway from the pre all-star break part of the season? I mean, so the Grizz started the year nine and 10 and I thought they looked a lot like the team we saw last year. I didn't see much improvement other than, you know, we saw some, some, some big plays from jaw. Um, but I mean, they faced massive blowouts against Portland, Phoenix, Atlanta, Minnesota, all at the beginning of the year. Um, but it's crazy. The, the thing that turned it around were uh, injuries because, you know, they had the run after jaw went out. Um, and I think that's when the team kind of clicked and found its groove. And, and what is inexplicable to me is how Zaire Williams undeniably got better after he came back from injury. Uh, I don't know what it was. If you guys have an answer, you know, tell me. Um, but all of a sudden the shots started falling, his court awareness picked up. And I think what you also saw after guys started coming back from injury, they dealt with uh, guys in health and safety protocols that how much this team really liked each other. And that, that, that can't be said for every team. You know, you see, you see, uh, you know, what you, what other teams, you know, the energy is off, um, even if they're winning, but I think it's fun to root for the, for the Grizzlies, not only because of their play style, but because of the exciting cast of players um, and watching the team on the court and how much fun they're having. Um, And I think, you know, we'll see in the playoffs how much the chemistry and the, um, and, you know, the vibes will contribute or, or if, you know, maybe the play style that the Grizzlies have, you know, um, benefited from in the regular season uh, comes back and it isn't, you know, the way to a championship, but I, I just hope that, uh, you know, going forward, um, they're able to succeed in the way they did earlier in the year where despite people were, you know, in and out of lineups, whether due to injury or health and safety protocols, the team didn't miss a beat. And so that, you know, I think if we're able to continue that after the all-star break um, shows the resilience of the team for sure. Yeah. I think that was really, really on display in that uh, Brooklyn win in January where the Grizzlies were starting Killian Tilly and having him guard Kevin Durant. And they also had Santi Aldama, who might have ended the James Harden tenure with the Nets by blocking one of his step-back three-pointers. And they had Jarrett Culver out there, too, and they still just laid the smackdown on the Nets. But it goes to your point. Like, all these guys, they're ready to play. They like each other. I mean, you can – it's very evident to see that. I mean, you know, you have the, the post-game photo op that they all do where they're all like crowded around, sometimes have Grizz in there, and you usually makes for some good social media content, but, like, they're they're hyping up, you know, Santi. They're hyping up John Conchar when he's putting somebody on a poster. Um, there, there's just a, a lot of love, I guess, and just kind of making these vibes immaculate. Bryson, I know you – are very good at pointing out uh, the vibes on your Twitter account. Just anything in that particular aspect that you saw there? Yeah, I, I think kind of to what Andrew said too, everybody is excited for each other. You know, there's sometimes where you'll see a team where, you know, if somebody else, you know, is shooting the ball too much, they'll get mad or, you know, they want to be the one, they want to be the hero. But it's like even Ja at times, you know, he'll know he can he needs to pass the ball and he trusts his teammates and they all trust each other. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's the main reason why we didn't see any kind of deals at the trade deadline, even with like an end of the bench guy. Like, you know, there was talks about Culver and 
uh, Xavier Tillman, you know, maybe getting traded. But I think those guys are crucial to the good vibes of this team as well. You know, uh, they're always getting up on the bench. They're always excited whether or not they're in the game and they're always working hard. And I think that's kind of, you know, everybody on the team has the same goal in mind. They're all trying to get to the championship, whether or not that happens this year, who knows, but, you know, that's their goal and they're all working towards it. And, you know, they really don't care about egos or anything like that. So I really love the way that this team has played so far this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of goes in line with my uh, big picture takeaway. I mean, obviously, I have a lot from the the mini podcasts that I've done over, uh, over the course of the season. But I think the biggest one is just how Taylor Jenkins has kind of like solidified himself as one of the. Uh, top coaches in this league. Uh, sh- I think he's probably going to be up there as a finalist for coach of the year with um, Billy Donovan, uh, JB Bickerstaff, Monty Williams. Like he's in that echelon of coaches, but I don't know why there was doubt on Taylor Jenkins uh, to start the year. I mean, I know they started out slow, but it's, I know people were like kind of questioning if he was the guy. I'm like, don't we have, two seasons worth of evidence to point that he's a good basketball coach. I think we kind of just need to let this, let this uh, play out. And that's what happened. And, you know, we talk about the vibes and the chemistry and a lot of it starts with the coach and the kind of environment that they're fostering. Granted, it also goes to the front office to the guys that they're bringing in. I mean, Taylor Jenkins is just manifesting a good culture and he's keeping guys one through 15 ready. So whether it's Xavier Tillman, uh, Jarrett Culver, Santi Aldama, John Conchar, Killian Tilly, like who, whoever has to play is going to be ready to play and contribute towards winning basketball. And I, I think, I think now Taylor Jenkins is solidifying himself as, like I said, one of the better coaches in the league, but someone that you need to let give a chance to potentially see if he could be the guy who's going to get them to where they want to go. He may not be a stepping stone coach. He might be a guy who leads them to their ultimate goal of winning a championship. And, I, I mean, right now they're top 10 in both offense and defense, and that's that's a benchmark of a contender as as well as that uh, 40 wins before 20 losses uh, theory that Phil Jackson also puts out. And I, I just think the way that Taylor Jenkins has manifested a good schematic uh, system, a good culture, like it, it's hard to find, I, especially since I mean y'all y'all have both followed the Grizzlies for a long time. You have different co- like we've had different co- problems with coaches where it's like, okay, their schemes were good, but they weren't likable, or this coach could build a culture, and he had the respect of his players, had a good schemes, but he didn't get along with management. Um, there were some coaches where you know they thought they were doing a good job with the culture but they really weren't, and the schemes weren't necessarily there either. And obviously, you had J.B. Bakerstaff, who probably wasn't given the absolute most fair shot. But Taylor Jenkins is hitting the nail with all three. You know, he's he's a likable coach, for whether it's players or management, good schemes, uh, manif- manifesting a good culture, good environment, and he's getting the most out of his players. And I, I think, I hope people are giving him the respect that he deserves. Yeah, I agree. Going back to like the beginning of the season, I think the main reason why people were kind of down on him a little bit were because it seemed like at sometimes the rotations were weird. 
But you got to remember at the beginning of the season, you know, Dylan Brooks was out. They didn't really know what they were going to do without him to start the season. And then, what, 12 or 20 games into the season, Ja goes down after, you know, you're already starting out slow. But I think that stretch without Ja really solidified himself as, you know, like, oh, this this is a guy who could be the coach of the Grizzlies when they get to, you know, the ultimate goal of winning the championship rather than just a stepping stone coach, like you said, Parker, because, you know, it was, you know, the defensive schemes and the offensive schemes running with Tyus Jones, even though you don't have a guy who's as dynamic as John Morant running the point guard position and still being able to get guys open in their spots. And I mean, part of it is also just because Jaron wasn't back to 100% at the beginning of the season. You know, he really didn't play a lot last year. I think he played 11 games, then he played in the playoffs, and he just looked like a shell of himself, and it took him a little while to get going. And I think around, like, the 15-20 game mark was when he started ramping it up, and I think that's also part of the reason why they turned it around. But you also have to give a lot of credit to Taylor Jenkins for, you know, you know getting those guys to really respect him. I think that's the big thing. You know, everybody respects – uh, Coach Jenkins, they all listen to what he has to say, even when you have guys that are, you know, like Ja, who's jumping out of the gym every day and is probably going to be an all-time great, it looks like, he, like that's the trajectory he's on. But he has, Coach Jenkins has his respect, and I think that's the most important thing. I'd, uh, I would I would go, you know, since the rebuild um, was ahead of schedule, and we, uh, you know, two seasons ago, I think, you know, there were a lot of a lot of blown leads. The team didn't really know how to finish games. And I, those late game woes are gone. You know, even even the Hornets game that they almost blew a couple of weeks ago, they finished it. You know, they pulled it out. Um, I think I think it was a mixture of, you know, what we had seen the last two years with those, uh, you know, late game mistakes and, and not being able to pull out the close ones. Uh, plus, like you said, Bryson, the, some of the rotations, especially um, in the playoffs where it was kind of swapping between Clark and Tillman where some of them would get DNPs and uh, sometimes they would, you know, finish out games. Uh, certainly um, it, it was confusing, you know, when you have so much talent, you're going to have a case where you have too many guys and you have to figure out who's playing. But uh, the way he switched back between both players casted some doubt in my eyes. But like I said, I mean, the, the, this year he's, he's turned it around, figure out the rotations uh, he's getting everyone involved and they are finishing games. And that's, that's what you, that's what all you could ask for in a coach. And it, it does, it does seem like he definitely has all the players respect, you know, and, and he's earned it. Um, and I agree with you, Parker. I think he's definitely uh, a top coach of the year candidate. Yes, absolutely. And I, I feel like I see this all the time on Twitter where it's like, Oh yeah, most most fans don't like a coach's rotation, so that always makes me feel better. Because yeah, I was kind of in the boat. Like this Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman stuff's kind of weird, but now like Clark's kind of solidified himself as probably the the best bench big on the team. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just a big fan of what Taylor Jenkins has has provided, how how he's grown. Because I mean, like y'all you pointed out, like they had the blown leads, and I think one thing that gets missed in this, uh, the early season struggles is they had, so you had John Morant, everyone else, especially with Dylan's injury, the Valanciunas trade, Chris Allen trade and Jaron's injury. It was four new starters around Ja, who's already not a great defender. Uh, you had a a D'Anthony Melton. So even you have a six, one or six, two guard and another six, two guard in the backcourt, you're going to get a little bit of uh, defensive mismatches. You have, 
Desmond Bain in the starting lineup. You have Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams, who are both the anchors of that defense, but they're also having to learn a whole new defense. So when, when your anchor's having to kind of pick up on things defensively, there's going to be a little bit of holes in your defense, and that kind of showed a lot early in the season. Granted, they also had a terrible luck where everyone just started blasting them with threes. It just didn't, it didn't really matter who they're going up against. There was just going to be a, a lot of threes going on. So I'm very impressed with just not only how Taylor Jenkins has elevated the coaching this year, but just how he was able to write, kind of write the ship at that 20-game mark with Jaws injury, the defensive lapses, um, the blowout losses. It's just I, I'm – I've always been a Taylor Jenkins truther, but I think this stretch that he's been on recently kind of solidifies that. But I, I want to transition over um, as we're close to wrapping up here, just our, the observations that we're going to be making with the big picture in mind for this part of the schedule, this uh, post-All-Star break, 22 games plus postseason. I'm going to start with Andrew here. Andrew, what, what's going to be something that you're going to be watching closely with the big picture in mind uh, down the stretch here? Well, I, I, I genuinely believe uh, Jaron could win defensive player of the year. Um, and watching his improvement this season has been incredible. You know, he, put, he clearly put on some muscle in the offseason. And that's, you know, he was already a great defender. He's even more of a force defensively but it's also given him the ability uh, to drive to the basket more consistently. And it's opened up all types of options for the Grizz offense. And I was looking at it today and it's crazy because, you know, he, you know, he lost most of last year with injuries, but he, he's played the most games of the entire team. He's played 59 and 61 games. Um, so he's been there and, and he's, he is holding down uh, the, you know, he's the anchor of the defense and he's already played more games this season uh, than every other season of his career. Um, and, you know, still got 22 games to go. Um, I've just been really impressed um, with how uh, he has been able to lead the defense. And I, I love to see, I'd love to see going forward, uh, the team keep the chip on the, sh on their shoulder, you know, and not take that foot off the gas. Uh, Cause it could be easy to slip up with 22 games to go and fall out of the groove they've had all year. Um, luckily, luckily, they have the third best strength of schedule left in the uh, entire league for the home stretch. Um, so I think, I think that allows the Grizzlies to keep jaw fresh uh, a little bit down the uh, way. So, you know, he can be ready for the playoffs because they already are four games up on the jazz. So they have a little breathing room. Um, and you met, you touched on it earlier, Parker, but it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, how Taylor Jenkins cuts down the rotation because we have you know, so many guys, it's a good problem to have, uh, but it's something that's going to have to be addressed come playoff time. And it's probably going to come down to matchups. Hopefully, uh, you know, we don't see the same stuff we saw last year where, you know, certain guys are getting DNPs and then they're kind of thrown off and they get in a funk. Um, but very, very interested to see uh, what the direction Taylor Jenkins goes uh, for the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. I'm very, very interested in that just because, you know, they have about 10 guys that can play, but you're also – it's the playoffs. You want to play your starters, your big minutes. And I want to ask both of you this. Um, you know, you talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. and the improvements that he's making, and specifically it's going to be big to see how he looks in a uh, postseason situation because he was, really wasn't in his groove. I mean, coming back, it was like his 
maybe like his games like 16 right 14 through 18 or 19 or something like he, he hadn't even played 20 games there and now he's in a groove we'll see how he's doing but uh what what are your thoughts on just like you know you have steven adams who's proven himself to be a very solid playoff center but obviously your future is jaron jackson jr potentially being at the five where, where do y'all stand on that front do y'all want to see him get a lot of minutes at the five in the postseason so that you could potentially have him out there with like brandon clark or Kyle Anderson, or even going small and having Dylan Brooks at the four. Where do y'all stand uh, on that boat? I think it's going to be matchup based. You know, if you play a team like I think if the you know if the season ended today, they would end up playing the Nuggets. If you play the Nuggets, you're going to want to have you know Stephen Adams out there for Jokic. I think just because of how, you know his size and kind of his physicality. But uh, I mean, we've seen in the playoffs in the past that, you know, teams go small, you know, a lot of teams go small. You look at like a team like the Clippers, if they ended up playing them, uh, especially even without PG and Kawhi, they're probably going to go small and play a guy like Nicholas Batum at the five, you know? So I believe that, you know, I like that he gets some minutes at the fives, but I think that having Steven Adams there is still going to be important going down, uh, you know, going down the stretch and going in the playoffs. Uh, Jaron is the perfect five to play small ball though, just because of his athleticism. I think we saw it even though the Mavericks have kind of had their numbers, even uh, there was times where Luca tried to pick on Jaron. And after he did that like three or four times and didn't score, he was like, all right, bring me Steven Adams instead. So it's going to be stuff like that, where if it's a matchup like the Mavericks, I think we should play Jaron at the five. But if it's a matchup like the Nuggets, then I would say uh, leave him at the four and put Steven Adams out there. So it's just going to be completely matchup based, in my opinion. Now, going down the line in the next couple seasons, I would like to see him be the primary center. But uh, for now, I'm fine with having Steven Adams and the way that he's been playing, especially after the first, you know, like 10, 15 games of the season. He's just been amazing. He does all the dirty work, which is the one thing where I don't know if Jaron's, you know, ready to be as physical as Steven Adams is, where he's setting screens and he's kind of clearing the lane for Ja. So I think that having Steven Adams out there, at least until Jaron can work on his physicality even more, is going to be huge for his development. Yeah, uh, I agree that it's definitely matchup based, um, but it's tough because my favorite lineups include, you know, Jaron at the five and DC at the four. But we saw last year how valuable Kyle Anderson was in the playoffs, having that veteran experience, someone who's gone through multiple rounds in the playoffs. And Steven Adams definitely has that. And so, you know, it doesn't seem likely that we would face the Jazz uh, in a first round matchup, but having a guy like Steven Adams would be huge, especially, you know, he's fixed this problem, but Jaron, one of the knocks coming out of the draft was that he would, you know, frequently get in foul trouble. He's cut that down a little bit, but, you know, going against a guy like Jokic, uh, having bodies to throw at him, you're going to want to see a lot of Steven Adams minutes. I, I don't know what the closing lineup is, though. Uh, I would say that they close with Jaron and BC, but I think, I think in the first half, especially you should get a lot of Steven Adams minutes. Uh, I, t- I, I knew I made, I made a good hire here. A big truther for the Jaron and BC lines. That's where I am at. But yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm cool with either way. I think Adams has shown that um, he's reliable for, uh, for minutes, especially for postseason minutes. And especially when you have these matchups, like, probably, presumably, uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, you're going to want a guy like Steven Adams, especially since um, 
he's a big body that can go that can go on it. But also, he's not gonna. It's not like he's gonna be out there taking shots away from your guys like John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., or even uh, Dylan Brooks. He's not gonna take shots away from those guys. He's gonna help you create extra possessions. It's all good. But I'm just very interested to see like when it comes to their uh, playoff run, are they gonna be more? They might make more decisions that impact the now, like playing. Kyle Anderson more minutes, playing Steven Adams more minutes, or they're going to also try to test out some stuff for the future and let you have like big minutes with Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. out on the floor together. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see, but uh, Bryson, I kind of want to get over to you on what are your, um, what's your big picture uh, observation you're going to be making in these final uh, 22 plus games. Yeah, mine is going to be Dylan Brooks and how is he kind of going to get back into the lineup and how is he going to look? Uh, I want to be surprised if when he first comes back, uh, he'll be coming off the bench for a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, really to see how he's going to end up in the starting lineup, you know, with Bain, with Ja, because we really haven't gotten to see that a ton just because of how much he's been out. And then when he was in, Ja was also out. I know we saw the way that the two of them can play together in the playoffs, but it's like, is that going to affect Bain at all? You know, is Dylan going to be like, I need a certain number of shots because, you know, he's used to being more like the second offensive option, whereas now, you know, Bain and Jaron are kind of, you know, going back and forth on a nightly basis on who's the second option is, you know, Dylan getting thrown back into that going to mess with that. I think that Dylan is the kind of guy who he's going to be able to figure it out. But I think that's the thing I'm going to be watching the most. And it's also going to, you know, see what happens with Zaire, you know, because I feel like Zaire playing with Ja has really unlocked, you know, the rest of his game that we weren't sure about. Because it seemed like at the beginning of the season, he was a, just a negative on the court when he was out there, uh, unless he was shooting a corner three. But since he came back from injury and since he kind of got inserted into the starting lineup and played with Ja, they've got a lot of chemistry. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can, you know, get some chemistry with the bench unit, see what the rotations are going to look like once Dylan Brooks gets back. Uh in my opinion, I think he's definitely going to be starting at small four by the time we get to the playoffs. Uh, I know Andrew also said we have the second easiest strength of schedule for the rest of the year. I think that's also going to help because, you know, maybe you can have some nights where you rest Bain or you rest John, you rely on Dylan a little bit more just so he can really get in a rhythm before you get to the playoffs. But yeah, I think it's just going to be what what is it going to look like when Dylan Brooks comes back? That's the biggest question that we have going forward. Uh, and then just from like a smaller scope thing is they just need to, you know, hit free throws. That's the one thing that just just makes me angry about this team sometimes is that it's the easiest things. It's like the simple things like that. Uh, but yeah, those are the two biggest things that I see going forward that, you know, is it really going to help them take the next step from, you know, maybe winning a first round playoff series to getting to the Western Conference finals or even the NBA finals if they can really, you know, click at the right time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, yes, the free throws, big concern. I can't lie. I I was just in awe about how I think it was the game before the All-Star break where Kyle Anderson missed three straight free throws on a three-shot foul, but luckily got bailed out by a, a lane violation to get that uh, fourth one. So, obviously, you want to see improvements there uh, across the board. But the Dylan thing is very interesting. Um, I'm not going to go too in-depth about it because I've – written about it i recently talked with joe molinax on a gbb live about dylan brooks but I, I think his um 
how he plays his, you know, his high usage, a lot of shots. I think that miscategorizes um, his willingness to uh, defer when needed. Obviously, you know, he, I mean, I, I think I, it was John Morant who said in a post-game press conference one time that Dylan Brooks was ahead of the snake. Like, and Taylor Jenkins has said that he's their spiritual leader. So like you have, like he, he's important to this team, but I think he's also be, with Ja playing the way he is, Bane playing the way he is, Jaron playing the way he is. He, he will defer if needed, but he's also a guy that you can rely on to go get you those tough buckets, go pick up that assignment. I think that's going to be very important uh, come the playoff time. But, Andrew, where, where do you stand on, on this with, um, with Dylan Brooks and his return? Well, well, let me ask you guys. I mean, do you think that the best solution – because we, you know, we like, we know Dylan likes to shoot. Um, do, do we think that the best solution is just staggering their minutes? You know, obviously there's going to be, you know, times where they're both on the court, especially um, at the end of games. But I think, I think that's what Dylan is, is really going to contribute when he comes back is the ability, you know, when there's lulls in the second or third quarter, sub him in, he's going to go on a run, you know, or he's going to shut down, uh, you know, clay whenever he's going on a hot streak in the playoffs um but i i don't know i mean i saw i saw one tweet i don't, I don't remember who tweeted it that they think zaire will still start even when uh dylan comes back and i don't know i mean can you can you do that can you can you leave uh dylan on the bench i i, I don't i don't see that happening um it's complicated um but i i would say I mean, we've seen this team together with with Dylan uh, in the starting lineup, and it's 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 good. You know, I, I I think it might take him a second to get back into his groove, but I don't think in the long run it's it's going to be a negative for the team. Yeah, I'm I'm interested. Uh, I think it's going to come down to lineup staggering because I've even noticed in their substitution patterns um, they've taken out Bane. Um, in that first wave of subs, and then they put him in late first quarter, early second to help alleviate uh, the offense uh, in those non-jaw minutes. So I, I can see them doing the same with Dylan Brooks as well, giving him more matchups where he's taking on um, bench units, but he's also still starting and taking on the primary responsibility of eventually you know, guarding your Luka Doncic's, your Steph Curry's, Devin Booker's, uh, Jamal Murray whoever comes their way uh, in the postseason. So I think it's just going to come down to lineup staggering. But, I mean, Bryson, where do you stand? Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. Uh, with the Zaire thing, I think that Zaire is going to keep starting, at least for a couple games when Dylan gets back. I think once we get probably, you know, closer to the playoffs, I mean, I guess we don't really even know exactly when Dylan's going to be back, too. I'm assuming he's going to be back, you know, I think they said early March. But, you know, we don't know exactly how many games he's going to have. So I think that the first couple games, they'll bring him off the bench and, you know, leave Zaire in the starting lineup and then kind of, you know, ramp him up a little bit. I still think he'll probably end up closing a lot of the games, too. But, uh, yeah, staggering lineups make sense. I think we're going to see a lot of lineups where it's Dylan with bench guys. So it might be, you know, Dylan and Tyus and BC being like the three big scoring threats out there and then throwing in a guy like Conchar and then, you know, whoever's at center, you know, maybe it'll be Jaron, maybe it'll be Adams. But, uh, you know, that way he can really get into his groove and he can really be like the main scoring option for a little bit. 
while he's playing with some of the bench guys. I think that'll be good for him just to, you know, get him back into his rhythm. But I think by the time we get to the playoffs, he's going to be starting. And I think that's mostly just going to be because of his defense, too. And, you know, the way that he just never stops. And I think that's another reason why I'm not really worried about how many minutes he's going to play just because of his intensity. And when you get into a playoff series, it's going to be hard to get Dylan Brooks off the floor. So I think that he's going to end up starting. I think he's going to end up closing the game. And I think he's going to be one of the guys that's playing, you know, a majority of the game with Ja. But uh, yeah, that, that's the way I see it for now. I still think Zaire is definitely going to be a huge part of this playoff run. But just because I've already seen what Dylan can do in a playoff series against the Jazz last year with an entire arena that hates him uh, cheering against him, I think that, you know, just his mentality is something that we're going to need in the playoffs. And like you said, Josh said he's the head of the snake and he's like the heart and soul of the team. So I'm I'm really excited to see what he's going to do when he comes back. And I think that that's really going to, you know, possibly take the team to the next level. Yeah, he he averaged 26 on 40 percent three point uh, percentage shooting uh, in the playoffs last year. Um, and, you know, he had a 37 point game earlier this year. Like we can't take for granted that he, he, he will, he can be the main option in games. And, you know, in one playoff game, he's probably going to pop off and go from 30. I mean, you know, it, it, it can be hit or miss with him, but uh, it's going to be super valuable having him back. For sure. For sure. And I'm going to wrap up with mine. I mean, it kind of goes in line with a lot what's been said here. It's just Zaire Williams. Uh, I think he's shown a lot that I didn't really expect him to show um in his first season i mean he's become a really good mid-range shooter uh he's found cutting lanes to where he can finish for lobs or just a simple just cutting in the half court offense he's figured that out the outside shot's a little inconsistent but i think that was kind of a given uh that's not to say he's not prone to his rookie mistakes because he is but he's really kind of taking advantage of this opportunity of starting next to job bain jackson and adams and he's flourished he's shown a lot of upside I'm very interested to see just how they how they walk the line here with Zaire down this stretch because I do like like we said I we do think that Dylan Brooks will probably end up starting by playoffs and just with lineup uh, ro- rotation cutting and uh, like rotations just getting to more, being more like eight to nine guys instead of nine to ten where does Zaire fit in this because if they're going to try to play Zaire. Who are you cutting out of the rotation? Are you cutting out DeAnthony Melton? You're going to cut out Kyle Anderson. I'm not sure. I mean, I think you want those guys in a playoff series, but at the same time, do you sit Zaire and um, just not give him that playoff, those playoff reps? It's I'm very interested to see how they navigate that line, especially since Zaire has been pretty good uh, in the over the past month or so, especially like just since he's gotten back from his ankle injury slash uh, health and safety protocols. He's the game's just slowing down for him. And he'll, he'll tell you that too. Like he really put in the work to make sure the game was slowed down for him. So it's part of that thing I said earlier of how they walk the line between obviously the playoffs are all about winning, but how are they going to do so? Are they going to have a wandering eye towards the future with their guys like Zaire Williams, or will they continue to go, steady with your guys like Kyle Anderson so I'm very interested to see what happens there yeah I I, yeah I'm interested to see what they do there too 
Uh, coming into the season, it felt like everybody saw Zaire as like a real project kind of player. But I, I'm not going to lie. I was not expecting him to develop this quickly, especially, you know, considering that at the beginning of the season, he didn't really play well. But I know that he also talked about that when he was hurt, you know, just getting to watch film and watching from the sideline a little bit really helped the game slow down for him a lot. I think that was really important for him. And then when he came back, it just seems like he's been a different player. Uh, the biggest thing that I've noticed, too, is that he hasn't been just, you know, catch and shoot always. You know, that's still where I feel like he gets the majority of his shots is, you know, catch and shoot, especially in the corner. But we've seen flashes of him being able to create his own shot and get to kind of like uh, the mid-range shot the way that guys like Kevin Durant do, you know, obviously not on that level, but it's like flashes and stuff like that that you want to see. Uh, so I think that's really the thing that makes him more promising, especially to see if maybe he could be a six-man kind of score role off the bench. But uh, yeah, and then his athleticism too. He's been catching way more lobs. He's been getting out in transition. And I think that really goes back to what we talked about earlier, just like the way that the whole team meshes together. It seems like everybody rubbed off on him, especially when he came back from injury. And really hope they don't bench my guy Melt. Big, big Melton guy. Uh, you know, maybe just playing for the road games. I think his shooting splits are much better on the road. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's honestly, if I, I just don't know, I mean, it's a product of having a deep team, but then again, you're relying on your first seven or eight when it comes to the playoffs. So, very interested to see because you know, there's a lot of guys that can earn these reps, especially. Um, your side years, uh, even Melton. Melton's only 23 years old. He needs these reps, especially if he's going to develop into more of a combo guard instead of an off guard. He needs these reps as well. Uh, Brandon Clark, he didn't get these reps last year. How's he going to look? And it's just going to be very, very interesting to see. But Andrew Bryson, do you have any uh, last remarks before we close the show here? Honestly, I just want to go back to my bold prediction that I made. I still think that the Grizzlies are going to win their first conference finals game of uh, the franchise's history. Don't know if they're going to get all the way to the finals, but I think that uh, they're going to win two playoff series. And I think they're probably going to end up playing the Suns in the Western Conference finals. But I don't know. I might be getting a little bit too far ahead of myself, but that's just kind of my bold prediction. I saw that uh, I think it was somebody on Get Up this morning had them go into the finals. I think it was Jay Williams. I'm not ready to say that but I do think they're going to win their first Western Conference Finals game this season. Awesome stuff. Uh, Andrew, any final remarks here? Yeah. I'm just hoping uh, Jamal Murray takes his time getting back from injury because if we end up matching up with the Nuggets, that'd be a tough first-round matchup for sure. But I think we have the Warriors number, so if we get, if we get past the first round, I, I'm really excited for a warriors Grizzlies playoff series. Um, but I just don't know if my hopes are too high. You know, maybe – Maybe it's just, is it a success if we just get the three seed and we don't make it out of the first round? Or is it a disappointment? I don't know. I think not getting out of the first round is a disappointment, you know, in just overall. I think that, of course, you know, still getting the three seed and everything is exciting. But, you know, after getting the three seed to not go any further than they did last year where they were a play-in team would be a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I, I totally I totally understand that. I'm kind of – I've always said it's just more of the manner, especially since, you know, if you brought up Jokic and Jamal Murray, 
I mean, if you're facing them in a six in a seven game series, they've they've had these playoffs. Scars are a good team. Um, just don't have it be like a short series. Make it like a if it's a hard fought seven game series, and you you lose to a team like that, it's fine. But I, I have high hopes for this team. Hopefully, in the in the boat of what Bryson said, Western Conference Finals team, I can see it. But that's about all the time we have. Uh, Bryson, Andrew, uh, let the people know where they can find uh, you and your work. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, okay, I was going to let you go, Andrew, but I'll go first. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at BrysonWright3. You can also see some of my stuff that I do uh, for UT. That'll be at WUTK Sports. Uh, we do like Twitter spaces after Tennessee games and stuff like that. Also, make sure to follow at Spaces Grizzlies. That's another account that uh, me and one of my friends, EJ, run where we do post-game spaces after every game. So make sure to give that a follow if you want to come in and have anything to talk about uh, post-Grizzlies game. You know, we always like to let people come in and talk. So, yeah, those, those are the main places to find me. Yeah. Um, follow me on Twitter, uh, Andrew E. Katz. And, um, you know, uh, excited to uh, start having some pieces on uh, Grizzly Bear Blues, but also um, I've written a couple of pieces for North by Northwestern Entertainment. Um, and so if you're into Spider-Man or perhaps Ozark, you might find a piece there. Um, and occasionally I write about Northwestern sports on Inside and You. Absolutely. Yeah. Make sure y'all follow them on Twitter. We're very excited to have them on the GBB team. And make sure you follow me on Twitter at Paco underscore Flocka. Make sure you are liking, subscribing, downloading, writing reviews for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you're fo- following the blog too on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies, reading our work at grizzlybearblues.com. And buckle up. It's going to be a fun little stretch a couple months here as the Grizzlies march on. Uh, to do a playoff journey. It's going to be pretty cool. But yeah, that's about all we have there, folks.